Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. church. How's everybody doing? You guys all right? Good, good. There you go. You can make a little noise. Those of you that are tuning in online and watching us that way, if you're checking this out on Facebook or Vimeo or one of those other ways, or maybe you're listening to it on the podcast, if this is your first time at Harbor or your first time checking out our church or maybe checking out any church ever, um, my name is Josh. I'm the senior pastor here at Harbor Church. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for watching. Thanks for coming. Thanks for just checking it out. We're so glad that you're here. We're going to jump in uh, to our series, The Songs of Christmas. In just a second, I've got to ask a question. I like to ask questions to get you thinking. Some of you are already just kind of relaxing too much. I want feedback. I want you to in, you know, kind of get into it. If you're watching this at home, you're sitting there on your computer, on your cell phone watching, you can play along. 
type in, raise your hand. Just got a simple survey question, so raise your hand. If this is you, or put in the hand emoji, whatever you want. Um, and we're just going to see uh, where we fall, okay? So I thought we got to keep with the Christmas theme. We're into December. I only get so much time to ask Christmas questions. I want to cover some of the hot topics. This one's not a big one. I'm going to save that for later on. As we get closer to Christmas, I'm going to turn the heat up, really tick you off. But this one's pretty easy, okay? So simple, either or, would you rather, okay? We're just going to ask and try to settle the debate between hot chocolate and eggnog. That's what we're going to settle right here, right now. If you're watching, you got to pick one of those two. What's the best drink? Which out of those two is better? Which one would you say, I will keep this one. If I have to lose one, I want to keep this one. So um, we're going to vote. How many of you out there, you, online or in here, how many of you would say, raise your hand. You can only vote for one, and you have to vote for one, okay? So how many of you would say it's eggnog? I would choose eggnog. That's the one I would go with. There we go. How many of you would say hot chocolate? I would keep the hot chocolate. Ooh. I don't need to do a Revo. That was pretty lopsided. I mean, at least 60-40 or something like that. So that was pretty, pretty clearly in favor of the hot chocolate. You can tell who the kids are, all the hot chocolate people, <laughs> and then who the drunks are, all the eggnogs. And we can tell, and that's fine. Um, I know, I didn't say the eggnog was spiked, but I'm assuming looking at this group, it's spiked. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just want you to interact, so feel free to have some fun and give me some feedback as we go along. But um, what I do want to do is I want you to think about this idea of Songs of Christmas. We started this last week. We're continuing it. We're going to continue this all the way through Christmas Eve, uh, which we have a, a very special Christmas Eve service, um, which we're excited about. But we're going to do songs every weekend up through the Christmas Eve services uh, where we're going to take a secular song and look at some of the truth that's in it and uh, some of the things that we can learn from it. Some of these songs uh, that we sang and, and will sing, you'll hear it on the radio. I would like you to remember something uh, beyond just that song. Now, Blue Christmas was made famous by Elvis, and uh, it's this idea of as much as everything else is going well for people, I'm not doing well. And this is the, the song that comes on, and it comes on a lot. It's on almost everybody's playlist. It's a very popular Christmas song. Whether you like it or not, we'll hear Blue Christmas several times over the next couple weeks. And it plays well because as much as there is, you know, the, the joy and the happiness of this season, and we sang that last week with, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and there's this, man, it's so good for Christmas. There's also the, oh, it's Christmas, and there's the blue side of it, and there's the, the sad side of it, and obviously that song is speaking more about the lovesick part of it, and oh, there's some really dumb lovesick songs, um, but uh, it does, it, it does remind us that as much as Christmas um, is usually characterized by the lights and maybe the snow and the joy of presents and stuff like that, um, there is a lot of sadness that can come with it. And there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that are struggling with having a blue Christmas. Um, and there are uh, different ways to look at that. There are just, there is just the holiday blues. And a lot of people suffer from the holiday blues, but that means it's over when the holidays are over. They kind of go back to normal. Um, and then there's people that, that really struggle with depression that goes through this whole season. Well, I mean, it doesn't help that it gets dark at 3.30 now. And, uh, you know, um, if, you, if you go to work in the dark and then you get out of work and it's dark already, that's, that can make... That can make anybody a little bit uh, sad. And so there's some truth to that. I, look at some, I was looking at some studies, and they were talking about this season and how people do during this season. And um, they said that when they polled the people, 60% of the people said they, they characterized the Christmas season, the holiday season, with 
happiness, love, and high spirits. And I was like, oh, that's pretty positive. And then they said, subcategory, all of those people also identified that there was an increase in stress, fatigue, irritability, and bloating. <laughs> and I went, that seems like two competing things. The, the positive people had negative things that happened to him during their positive season. And some of you might feel that. The other 40% said that this season marked for them an increase in stress, anxiety, sadness, mostly due to a lack of time or a lack of, of money or a lack of companionship, friendship. And so that's, it's very real. I mean, even the 60% that found it positive also found it stressful. And so um, as much as we have to celebrate, and we have a lot to celebrate, our joy can't come from what the world commercializes Christmas to be because that's fleeting and you won't find real fulfillment in that. And that's one of the reasons that so many people struggle during this time is because it's got the facade of you got to be happy, but when you add into it greed and commercialism and and man, some of, the, some of the hurt feelings and some of the stress that comes with it, it's no wonder that it's also a very blue time and a very sad time. This is also found in the actual first Christmas story. Believe it or not, we, we have these beautiful manger scenes. I think there's one out in the lobby. We have these beautiful manger scenes that we see around, and man, we just make it look amazing, don't we? There's Mary. She's just had a baby, and yet all of her hair is perfect, and she's smiling. She's like, oh, the baby. And the baby in the manger. The manger looks so cool, doesn't it? It's like this perfect crib for a baby. Except for it was a food trough for pigs and like horses and cows and stuff. And it, it probably looked a lot grosser than what we have in our, in our scenes. And, and Joseph was usually standing there like, I think that guy is like sweating bullets. He's just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> what the heck? I'm the worst husband ever. I've been married for like a minute and I've got my wife in a barn like... I suck at this. Like, I don't, it's, it's, it, we glamorize. I want to remind you of what the original story was like. If you've never heard it, um, it's found in a couple different gospels, but we're, we're, the, the one that we like to look at is Luke. It's very, uh, it's very detailed. Luke, as a physician, took a lot of notes, and so he gives us a lot of details uh, in his writing and his account of uh, Christ's birth found in Luke chapter 2. Last week we looked at the shepherds, and that's where I started, but this is the, these are the verses right before the shepherds, okay? And it starts with the very first verse in Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen, and uh, we'll put it up around you so you can see them that way. But it says this, At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus, that's Caesar Augustus, he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when uh, Quirinius, or Cyrenius, uh, was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns uh, to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And you guys got to remember, that's because Jesus came from the bloodline of David. Joseph was, David, uh, Joseph was Jesus's adoptive father, and as, uh, as an adopted son of Joseph, Jesus got legal first birthrights, but he also had a bloodline through Mary, and this fulfills the prophecy, those of you that like to nerd out on that stuff. Um, that's why it's in here. It lets us know Jesus did have that claim to the, the Davidic throne there. But it says uh, that they traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And if you haven't heard the story before, Mary, although she was a virgin, um, had... Uh, had baby Jesus growing inside of her. She was about ready to give birth to the Messiah. And the angel 
uh, told her what was going on. The angel told Joseph what was going on. So uh, they're together. They're making this trip. And it says that she's expecting this child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in snugly, snugly in, in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. Or as other versions say, there was no room for them in the inn. Now, once again, when you hear this at a play or if you grew up in like an, an old school church and they would do a whole bunch of kids come out and act it out or you just heard the verses, we glamorize it. And it's like, there's no room for them in the inn. And there's this beautiful scene. And it is, it's a beautiful thing. But if you go back in time and you were Mary or you were Joseph or you were watching this, you would not be like, oh, I want to take a picture of that and send it on cards to all my friends. It's amazing. You're looking at a family living in a barn and this poor pregnant lady can't find anybody to let her in the house, so she's having a baby out in a stable. That's, their, that, that's, that, that's what we've glamorized, and we're, we're celebrating that 2,000 years later, and there's a reason for that, but I want you to go back. We, we know the, the result, but if you don't know the result and you're in the middle of this, that's not a great Christmas. Think about it. Go back to what we read. What is there exactly to be happy about in this situation? They're being taxed. Nobody likes having their money taken from them. So the, the, it starts off with, hey, give us your money, Joseph. You're already poor. We know they're poor. A few verses later, after Jesus is born, they offer uh, a sacrifice, but they can't even afford to offer a, a lamb. They offer just a couple of birds, which was, a very, uh, it was, which was symbolic of, a, of somebody who was very poor. That's the most that they could afford. Um, and it starts with there was a tax. They had, to get, they had to give up some money. But not only that, it's a tax by Caesar Augustus. Those of you that don't know history, the Roman Empire uh, was the most powerful uh, government ruling body on the planet. They ruled most of the known uh, civilization at that time. The Greeks had conquered a lot under Alexander the Great, but after the Greek Empire went away, the Roman Empire stepped in, and they were, they were even more so brutal to the people that they had conquered. The Romans ruled almost everything, including especially uh, the area that we call Israel. And most of uh, everywhere Jesus goes is under Ro Roman control. And at this time, Mary and Joseph are not being taxed as constituents. They're being taxed as servants or slaves to the Roman Empire. So they're having their money taken from them, and they're having their money taken from them by people that are dictators, by a man who is not, not somebody they voted for, but instead somebody they're enslaved to. They have a conquering army that controls their country. This is not a fun setting. Not only that, but now they have to leave home because of the census. They didn't, they didn't keep track of people very well back then, and they wanted to know how much food they were going to have to uh, expect to be taken up to keep people alive and they also want to know how much money they can make so they want to know how many people they got so they make everybody do a census and the best way for them to do that is everybody's got to go back to your hometown or the hometown that your great 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 grandfather came from can you imagine if that was true today we had to trace back all the way back so many generations and we have to go to wherever they came from uh, and this is the case for mary and joseph except for there aren't planes and trains and cars they've They've got to make of the walk. Now, I know we have a lot of pictures of Mary on a donkey because it looks cute, you know, and it's, it's fun. We don't know. She might have walked that whole way or rode in a bumpy cart. We don't know. But we do know they have to leave home. That is not fun. This is not a one-day trip. They're gone for months. 
As a matter of fact, if you read the story, <clears throat> when they would have returned back, they instead have to run all the way down to Egypt because Herod tries to kill Jesus. So they leave home going, we'll be back in a couple of months, and they don't come back for years. So uh, them stepping away, this is a, this is a, a little bit of a, of a heavy trip. Now you add into that, <clears throat> she's pregnant. She's pregnant. That couldn't have been a very comfortable trip. And when they get to Bethlehem, they clearly don't have any family or friends there because nobody will even let them take up space in a, in a guest room or a hallway. The best they can get is a barn. And now she's giving birth to her child in this stable. And if you pause the story here and you don't know anything else, man, this is a rough way to start the happiest season of all. And it makes me, it makes me pause and think about those around us, maybe some of you right now as you're listening to me, that uh, this is not a happy season. This is a very tough season. Some of you are battling depression. Some of you are battling addictions that are getting the better of you. Some of you are dealing with loss, sadness. You're grieving. Some of you are uh, in the middle of painful relationships that are falling apart. Some of you have health diagnoses that uh, don't look good. And this season where everybody else is smiling around you, it's very hard for you to smile. And if that's not you... Thank God, praise God, you're in a good spot. It may be true of the person beside you, the person that works next to you, the person that rode on the bus behind you, uh, the person who works in the cubicle a couple uh, ways down. I don't know, but th there's a good chance, if the statistics hold true, 40% uh, are really struggling. I see this in the very first story. And I just felt all the, room, all the air suck out of the room, and so I feel really bad. You're like, yeah, we came here for a Christmas message, and you're really kind of crapping on that, Pastor Josh. I, I just say that to bring up. It's, it's got to be hard because it seems to be in contrast to what we're told. If you jump a few verses down from Jesus being born and wrapped in cloths, by the way, that's the way you would wrap a dead person. That They didn't even have a baby blanket for him. They just found strips of cloth. Uh, and that's what he's laying, and that's something we've glamorized, but once again, tough. And then you jump a few verses down, you get to the passage we looked at last week where there's, there's shepherds in a field watching over their, sh their, their sheep, and, and then these, these angels show up, and it says in verse number 10, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. This news that I'm bringing you is so good that it will bring great joy to all people. And you'll see that word joy associated with Jesus and especially with Christmas season a lot. And it, it, it's hard. It's hard to look at that, that word joy and the association it has with Christmas and still struggle to see why everybody finds that joy when we can't. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Like It might be joyful for other people. But why isn't it joyful for me? And if you were Mary in the middle of this, or if you were Joseph in the middle of this, and you didn't know that God had a bigger plan, and they do, but sometimes you and I forget that, that God's got a bigger plan than our current misery, we begin to look around, and man, that's when depression begins to sneak in. You've got to remember that Satan is described as a, as a deceiver and a destroyer. What he wants is he wants to destroy your joy. So we have an adversary who his main goal is to make you depressed. 
his main target is to suck the fun out of everything. And on a season when you could celebrate the birth of your Savior, this amazing story that we're reading and having unfold in front of us, when you could find joy in it, he loves to make sure that you focus on sadness. And if you or I were Mary or Joseph, it'd be pretty easy to be tempted to be bummed out. And I want you to understand, and we know this, but there, there's, there's some things we need to remember as we look at the Christmas season, as we think about maybe some people around us that are struggling or as we are tempted to struggle ourselves. And that is, don't be tempted by the temporary. It was a temporary thing for them to be in this, this situation. It looked very gloomy. It looked very sad. It looked very heavy. But it was just that. It was temporary. You got to understand, the battle that you're going through today very well may be the victory that you're celebrating tomorrow. And in the middle of, man, a long trip with nobody opening their doors to them and then having to give birth in a stable, that seems like this, this couldn't get any worse. But it was a beautiful setting for what God was going to do through their family. The stress it must have put on their relationship, the, the fear that must have crept in, the times that Satan must have whispered, this couldn't get any worse. God must not love you. There must not be anything good for you. There must be something wrong. You've done something wrong, or God, God has forgotten about the things that he must have whispered into their minds as they went through this first, the very first Christmas. His ta tactics haven't changed. He's still whispering that in our ears today. God doesn't love you. Look at your life. Look how broken things are. Look at all the things you can complain about. I only mentioned a few. Mary and Joseph probably could have mentioned a lot more if they were here the things that they could claim on that very first christmas really didn't go well for them but those were temporary things because what we're looking at two thousand years later we look back at it and we build we build little nativity scenes on our pianos and on our mantles to commemorate that night that probably <laughs> was really rough for them can you imagine if somebody had like a, a little little model made of like one of your toughest nights and you walk in their house and like remember when you did that <laughs> It was awesome. Yeah. We remember it every year. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 6. Be truly glad. Why? There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Something you need to understand, something that I've tried to make very clear. There, there are some false teachers or some bad pastors and preachers um, that are just out there trying to uh, take people's money, become popular. So they say all of the nice, easy things to hear. And one of the things that's very popular is if you just love God, if you just love God or love Jesus, everything will be good. Give me your money, and you, then in turn, you're going to get extra blessed. And you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And man, that's the promises in the Bible. And that's not a promise in the Bible. God can do that. There's no guarantee that everything is going to be perfect for you tomorrow on an earthly standard. That doesn't exist in the Bible. If things are going really well for you, praise God. Maybe God is putting you in a place, a healthy place, so that you can help people who are unhealthy. Praise God if you're there. But there isn't anything in here that says everything will be great just because you love God. Now, it does talk about the eternal rewards, the the things that can't be taken away from you long term. But in the short term, God goes to great lengths to tell us, this planet's broken. Because of sin, sin entered the world and death from sin. Everything is decaying around us. He says here in this verse, you can expect many trials for a little while. This earth, this earthly life, it's short. If you live to be 120, it's going to be just a, a quick 
fog, a quick breath, the Bible says. It's like a mist, and then it disappears. That's a long life here on earth in comparison to all of eternity. So please don't be tempted by the temporary. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, Our suffering is light and temporary, and is producing for us an eternal glory that is greater than anything we can imagine. If you are suffering, if you're going through it right now, understand that it's, it's temporary. Too often we get in the middle of it, and if we were Mary or Joseph, we would knock on a few doors, hear that there's no room, and then we're going, I'm going home. Forget God. And we would quit. We would give up. Does God not know how long this trip took? I can't believe he forgot about me. I can't believe he's not giving me what I want. I was praying the whole time for a really fast camel. And I got a really slow, smelly donkey. I was praying for a nice, comfy bed and a nice hotel. And I got a pile of hay in a barn. God is either not good or he is not honest or he doesn't love me. And we would quit. A lot of us do. And that's some of the reasons that we are just living in the sadness of the season. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. And here's, here's why we celebrate Christmas is that he changes everything with his birth. If this had just been another story, it'd be kind of a sad story. But this isn't just the birth of a normal baby. This is the Son of God. This, is just, this isn't just a man. This is God incarnate. He is, he's wrapped himself in flesh to redeem flesh. He became man to save mankind. And so this birth of this baby changes everything. And what I had to write in my Bible so that I don't forget to to, to, to not, not because I am tempted by the temporary, and to not get stuck there, I had to, I had to put this, this in here. God with us means new life for us. And this, this entire thing is now flipped on its ear because all of the blues and all of the sorrows and all the things that suck about the season and, and about our lives and about things where it can go wrong, Jesus is now the solution to that. And he steps in to say, hey, I've got a better plan for you than to just for you to keep focusing on all the things that aren't the way they could be. And so we begin to ask ourselves, though, then well, why am I going through this? And I believe it's so that we can trailblaze through this pain. I believe it's so your, your stumbling blocks right now will become somebody else's stepping stones. Your battles that you're facing, the blues that you might have, are are a great opportunity for you to love other people through that thing in the future. So if you're struggling, if you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're not sure what to do, God can sit there and take it and take you to, an, not only through that, but take you to lead somebody else coming behind you. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. Why? Because God is merciful. He's a merciful Father and the source of all comfort. This is God. But then check this out. Some of you need to be reminded of this. Verse number four. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the source of comfort that God has given us. If you're going through it right now, it might be because God is preparing you to, to walk somebody else behind you. When, so when I said you're a trailblazer, I'm saying you're making this path. It's not just for you to get through it. You're like, I got to make it. I just got to get through it. I got to get through this valley. I got to get through it. You might be blazing a trail for other people to go. She did it. I can do it. He made it. I can make it. 
it very well may be you might be going, I, nobody's ever had to come out of this. I'm really, I'm really just out here by myself. But God's using you to make a path for the next person who may not be as strong as you to go, if, if they can do it, I'm going to do what they did. And you can turn around and go, yeah, don't give up. I know it's scary right there, but there's better. It's coming. Come on. And God might be using you to pull some other people out. Man, I thought that would encourage you. That's cool. All right. Let me show you what the prophecies were about this baby being born and how it was designed for us to, to know that once this kid comes on the scene, once this, this Messiah kid is born, how things are supposed to change. And things were supposed to dramatically change. And this is how Isaiah prophesied it in chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 say this. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Remember, it's just temporary. He says, hey, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. There'll be a great, uh, there'll be a time in the future when Galilee, this is prophesying that Jesus would be in Galilee, of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between uh, the Jordan and the sea, it will be filled with glory. And then, of course, we know Jesus does actually grow up in Galilee. The people who walk in darkness will see great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. This is all stuff Jesus was going to do. You will enlarge the nations of Israel. The children of God are going to get bigger. And Jesus definitely grows that family. And it says, um, uh, um, they, they will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And like warriors dividing plunder, you will break the yoke of their slavery. And you will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Now, you got to remember, this is why on Palm Sunday, they rip the branches off the trees because they think this verse means Jesus is going to beat back the Roman army. They want Jesus to destroy their Roman slavery. And Jesus is like, I came to throw off the chains of sin. I came to break the bondage of the wickedness that's gripped your heart. And so this is talking about one thing. They read this verse and they thought it meant, they thought it meant Romans and what God is talking about is Jesus came to set them free from an eternal darkness. And then it goes on to say, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned. There'll be fuel for the fire. And verse number six, this is the one we're going to focus on. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace his government and its peace will never end he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of the ancestor of david for all eternity the passionate commitment of the lord of heaven's armies will make this happen so that's the prophecy and if we listen to that and if we believe that then we wouldn't have all that we are facing today but the problem is, the same way that they forgot about it, we forget about it. Many years later, hundreds of years later, Jesus is born. And they don't quite understand what they're supposed to do with it. And even as Jesus lives his life and begins teaching and doing miracles, they still aren't sure how to deal with it. And we have the, the benefit of being able to look back on this. 2,000 years later, we look back on Jesus' life, and we might understand some things, but we still miss it. So how do we... How do we take the truth that, yeah, there is a lot of heaviness in this season. There's a lot of brokenness in this season. And how do we find some joy in it? I wrote it this way. <clears throat> what to do not to be blue. 
Because sometimes we, we hear messages, and then I'm going to be honest with you. I know I'm guilty of it, but it, it's kind of, it just kind of ticks me off when people are like, hey, just be happy. Cheer up. Stop being gloomy. And I'm like, I'll punch you in the face. And like, Turn that frown upside down. I'm like, come over here. I'm going to choke you to death. And it's hard because it, it, just being told, and we know the Bible tells us to have the joy of our salvation, to be people that are filled with a light, with a happiness. We know we're told to do that, but we do struggle. Please nod your head so I know that I'm not the only one that struggles. We do struggle sometimes to like to get out of the blues, to get, a, get out of our, our brokenness, to find a reason. Now, some of you are just naturally happy, and I'm, I'm so happy for you. And you're like, I've never had a problem smiling, and that's cool, I guess. But for the rest of us, there are times where even though we know we're supposed to, we, we struggle to remember how to. And so I thought if we could just for a moment, just for a few minutes before we close, why don't we take this verse and, and we find out what, what to do to not be blue. It's basically four areas that we can focus on to fight the blues, to, to get out of the funk, to, to maybe find a little bit more joy this season. And if this isn't for you, it might be for somebody that God's going to put in your path. So you should still write it down as well. Or it might be for the you that's coming in January. I don't know. Just, just think ahead. Let's go back to that verse, verse number 6. It says, first off, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to fulfill this prophecy. So Jesus shows up, and he is now becoming the wonderful counselor for everybody, including those of us that have a tendency to become blue every once in a while. He's here to help us out, to give us counsel, to give us advice. It says in John 14, verse number 26, but when the Father sends the advocate, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. Jesus comes, he models for us what we need to know, and then he leaves behind the Holy Spirit, which if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of you. and says, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I love this because I, I struggle to remember some stuff. So the Holy Spirit's there to teach me and then to remind me. You want to know why? Because when I get depressed, when I get the blues, I tend to forget what it is that God has told me. And so I need a reminder. You need a reminder. And this is what God says he does for us. He changes it so that now we have a permanent counselor. This, this wonderful counselor can live inside of us. It says in James 1, 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. God is very generous with giving out wisdom. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. God expects you to ask for help getting smarter. I'm just leaving it out there because some of y'all are like, nah, I got it. I know I don't need any help. Oh, you do. He says he actually is generous with wisdom, but you got to ask for it. That means that you have to admit that you don't know everything. I know. I know. I read these verses. I was like, crap. 
My God, okay, I guess that's me, that's me. Proverbs goes, because God knows that we, we don't want to admit that we need it. Proverbs tells us in chapter 19, verse number 20, it says, get all the advice and instruction you can get. Get it all, get it all that you can so that you'll be wise the rest of your life. It means go out and look for it. Like a kid looking for candy at Easter or whatever, going on that hunt, they will, I mean, they will knock each other down. They will kick each other. They will become vicious animals because they want that, that candy, that sugar. That's the way you're supposed to be looking for nuggets of wisdom, asking for help, getting counsel, pulling in wisdom. You know what you and I do? I already know it. I've got it. You know, I'll tell them something. You know, the amount of people that listen to a message that I preach and then tell me how they would have preached it, I'm like, that's awesome, thank you. <laughs> I'm not telling you anything that I know. I'm telling you everything that God shows me because every time I read these things, I'm like, man, this is me. I'm just passing it on because I think some of you are like me. We're stupid. And we don't do this the way we're supposed to. And it says that we should pursue it and we don't, so... If we want to remember what to do to not be blue, the four areas, if, if the wonderful counselor teaches us anything, it teaches us this. We need to seek direction in order to avoid destruction. And this is one of the reasons that we are sad because we're not looking for any, any input from God. We're not looking for God's direction. And some of us have, are so lost in the middle right now. It's no wonder we're sad. We have no path forward we have no plan for success and they've they've described that as being one of the most um, debilitating psychological problems is when you don't feel that there's a path forward for you when you don't know what to do next it can be crippling for you psychologically emotionally and god says that he's got a plan for you that he's designed something for each and every one of you specifically you just have to lean into him being the one calling the shots. He says he's got a plan and he needs to be your compass. But what you and I do is we're like, nah, I'll figure it out for myself. And we put God on a shelf as somebody that we might use maybe, but we don't really surrender to him. And then it's no wonder that we wander around lost. And for a few years, we'll do our own thing. And then we'll sit down after doing our own thing and go, man, my life isn't very fulfilling. I don't have anything that I'm truly proud of. I have a lot of dreams that I never reached. I have a lot of things that never came about. And it's no wonder that we find sadness and despair because we've not really found any, any direction for our lives. That will always lead to destruction, just so you know. And Satan loves that. He loves to find sheep that have wandered from their shepherd. Why? Because he's a roaring, roaring lion looking to devour somebody. When you lose that, you're headed to destruction. But it doesn't just say he's a wonderful counselor. Go back. It says he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. It goes to the, I mean, you should be able to say he's God. And we'd be like, got it. All powerful, all knowing. We should, but we're dense. So it spells it out for us. He is mighty. And the connotation here is he is all powerful, all strong. There's nothing stronger than him is what it's saying. In Ephesians 6, verse number 10 it tells us a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why doesn't it just tell us to be strong? Because we try to be strong on our own all the time. It gives us instructions on how to be strong. Because some of us, we flex in the mirror spiritually. I got this. No reason to trust God. I got this. And we try to be strong in our own power. I know you guys were impressed with that flex. 
It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's a reminder to us that there is great strength, but it doesn't come from within. And this is very countercultural. Because this is what's fun to put on Pinterest and on your, you know, your, little, your little Instagram wall. Like, it's the inner strength. I can do it. You can. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ. The world does not have a God to turn to. So the only thing they can promote is you can do it all by you. You can't. You've never been able to. You never will. I'm not saying that you can't work. You have a responsibility. You absolutely need to take ownership. If that's the point you're making, great. Take some ownership. Like, you got to get to work. You can't just sit there and be like, God, do it all for me. I'm just going to lay in bed until you make it happen. No, that doesn't work. But the ability to overcome things doesn't come from within you. The brokenness, the sin, the fleshly cravings that have got us in the problem that we're in, that comes from within inside of us. But the supernatural power and strength we need comes from without. And so if we're going to know what to do to, be, to not be blue, we first we seek direction and avoid destruction. But secondly, we have to trust his power more than our pain. If you're going to get past the blues, you can't just keep focusing on the power of the pain. We have some painful things in our life. Some of you are dealing with a loss that you can't, you can't let go of. Some of you are looking at a bill that there's no way for you to pay. Some of you are, are, are struggling through a heartache that doesn't feel like it'll ever be healed. There's so many things, and I can't touch on all of them, but the temptation for us is to be overwhelmed by the power of our pain, the mountain of the, uh, of the, 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 the sadness or the, the heaviness of the the despair that weighs on us, we, we look into the face of that and we're overcome with that. And what, what the Bible says when he says that he's a mighty God is he's telling us we have to trust more in his power than in our pain. It's God's power, not our perspective, if you will. I love the, the verse that says, um, uh, let's see here, it's uh, Isaiah 41.10. I want to make sure I said the right one. It's Isaiah 41.10. It says, don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Next to that verse, I had to write, his hand is better than your head. Because I get it in here. I'm like, this is how I'm going to fix it. And this is what I'm going to do. And if I just do this and carry the one, and blah, 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 I solve my own problems. And yet it never works out. He says, I'll hold you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. His hand is always better than my head. And all the things that I think I can do, he's better. It says in in 1 Chronicles 16, verse number 11, Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. You can find the power to overcome any obstacle, but it'll only be as you seek it from him. You can wander this planet looking for all kinds of things, the answer will be found one place. There's a lot of people that are like, well, I really like this, or I really pursue that. And you're going to decide where you're going to put your faith. You can put it in a false god. You could put it in a self-help book. You can put it in yourself, which is what most people promote. You can assume that you've got all the answers. Because you've experienced life the way you've experienced life, you're convinced that you know best. And here's the truth. You might know better than everybody else around you. We all think that, and that can't obviously be true, but let's just assume for you it is. 
You know better than other people around you. Okay. That still doesn't mean that you should be the God of your life. We think, oh man, I, I've got this. I've got it figured out. I've experienced it. I've got it. And God is sitting there going, I've allowed it, but if you'll, if you'll let me step in and be the God of your life, I've got the strength, the counsel, some of the other stuff we're going to talk about. I've got it to, make you, to get you through it, but it, there has to come a point when you let go of you being your own hero. It doesn't just say that he's a wonderful counselor and a mighty God. It also says he's the everlasting father. There's way more to this than I can break down. There's an entire connotation here that he adopts you into his family, and there's ownership, and there's fatherhood here. And I really want to explore more of this word father, but for time, I can't do that. So I'm going to focus on the everlasting part. I think we need that because when I think about the blues, I think about all the things that I can't seem to get past. I think about all that sorrow that's, that's hitting me that I get lost in how much I think that this will never end and how bad it's going to be. When something goes wrong, it's like, this is it. And we just sit down in the middle of that brokenness and we can't even, we can't even envision a time outside of the brokenness because it seems so surmounting. It seems so overwhelming. And so if we're going to figure out how to fight the blues, what to do to not be blue, we seek direction and avoid destruction. We trust his power more than our pain, and then we rest in the constant Savior, not the current sorrow. The fact that our Savior is constantly there is the reason that we can get out of the blues. Everything else in your life will fade away, and unfortunately, some of, the, some of you have found that to be all too true. There isn't a reliability for some of the people around you. Some of you have found that some of the the people you love, the people you trusted, they're not there or they couldn't be trusted or they've passed away. And all of those things cause you to doubt. Doubt whether you can trust or doubt whether you can love. And it teaches us that we don't really want to be invested or more than anything, we just invest in the, the present. We don't invest in the permanent. And that's the opposite of what God's designed us for. When we get so focused on this little bit of life that we have here on, the, on this planet, we think of that everything that we everything that we will ever be exists just this side of the dirt and the the saddest part of that is when you take your last breath you enter into eternity and it's so much longer and the things that you do here on this earth with whatever time god's given you is what you're actually setting up for in eternity and that's why he refers to himself as everlasting eternal it's not just a temporary little thing hey good luck here on earth it's a roll of the dice I hope you got a good family. I hope you got a good body or a good skill set or a, a little bit of money. I hope you inherited something. I hope, you, I hope you, got, you were one of the lucky ones. Let's just hope that. No, this doesn't matter how good or how bad or how tall or how short or how rich or how poor or how great your family was or how broken your family was. This life is very small compared to what you get for all of eternity. The temptation in the middle of being blue, in the middle of being broken, is to focus right here, right now. And that's not what God's called us to. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, I've written this to you, those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. You have something greater than all this temporary junk that you've got to deal with. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, and by the way, that's Jesus, then you have an eternity to plan for 
It, it has to be, just hear me, it has to be depressing if all we have is this little life right here. Of course we're going to be blue. I can distract myself with twinkling lights. I have ADD. I, can, I love Christmas. I can't drive and not go, ooh, let's look at that. It's an inflatable. Okay. Like, I get it. Like, this is a fun season to distract us. And that's great if I need to be distracted from the reality that this life is pretty broken. And if my hope is that all I've got has got to be crammed into this life here on earth, then I can't help but in the quiet moments when my head hits the pillow and there's nothing else to distract me to help but sit there and think, this is the worst. God's called us to be better than this, to more than this. He's called us to an eternal life. Psalms 100, verse number five. Some of you should write this down. It says, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. Those of you that struggle with permanency, with reliability, his faithfulness continues to each generation. This is a proclamation about who God is. We won't find that in all the people around us and all the things that we want to trust, but you can find it in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says this, We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. This is why we struggle, is we focus so much on what can be seen, and what God says is you gotta be, you got to be focusing on the things that you can't see right in front of you. That's where your happiness comes from. That's why people can lose everything, and they can still find a way to praise God. Because if you take everything away that this earth has to offer, it's nothing in comparison to what eternity offers me with my Savior. But distract me and get me a good job and a nice car and comfy retirement and man i just go oh i'll just cash it all in i need this right here give me give me give me and it's no wonder that i push god out because i'm so pursuing what i can grab right here the bible says that's going to melt and rust away i can spend my whole life pursuing something that when i die somebody else is going to take it or it's just going to be rusted and turn into garbage or i can spend my life pursuing something that will never be taken away that's where you're going to find the difference between the constant struggle of being depressed versus a purpose of going, yeah, it might, it's not great, but I've got something bigger to look forward to. The last thing that he tells us about himself in Isaiah is that he's the Prince of Peace. We got that he's a wonderful counselor. He's got the advice for us. Mighty God, he's got the strength for us. Everlasting God, he's got the reliability and the long-term effects for us. But that Prince of Peace part, that's the part that battles our blues. That's the part, if we do the first three things and we rely on it, if we follow through with putting our faith there, then the result is he brings a peace. The Bible refers to it as a peace that passes understanding. You will experience a peace where you can't, you, you can't describe it to people in a way they'll understand because they're just going, I, that makes no sense to me. There was a time when I was just near death and I was convinced that, that I only had a few minutes left to live. And, and I'm not even speaking hyperbole. I know I exaggerate a lot, but that's the truth. Like, I, I really was moments from death. And God gave me a peace that I could never describe to somebody in a way that they could understand. I just felt completely calm with the fact that, hey, I'm about to meet God. I'm about to enter into heaven. And I'm not morbid. I don't have a death wish. 
But I know for a fact that the peace that passes understanding that comes from the Prince of Peace, it absolutely is true. Does that mean I'm always at peace every day? No, there's a lot of things that cause me to be distracted and frustrated. But there's a peace that I can find in God. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. This is all the teachings that God has given us, all the things that he's talked about. He said, I gave you all of this so you can find a peace, not in yourself, but a peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Find peace. Get some strength under you. Why? Because I've already overcome the world. I've beat everything that's going to take place. The second you take your last breath and you enter into eternity, you're going to see it to be true. He's already taken care of all this. And you can have a peace that goes, yeah, I, I can't, I don't have all the answers to this side of it. I don't know how, I can't make it all work perfectly, but I'm going to put my faith in the one who did. And that's how, that's how we fight back against it. The last part is this. If you want to know what to, to do to not be blue, besides the direction and the power and the, the constant Savior, you're going to find peace in his presence or you're going to find chaos, chaos in your complaints. In the middle of the blues, you're gonna, you get to choose whether you are going to just focus on all the things you don't like. And by the way, this is very easy for me, and it's very easy for most of you. Well, this is tough, and I don't like this, and woe is me. And do you know how bad my life is? And do you know how tough I've had it? And do you know that people don't like me? And do you know this? And do you know that? And do you know this? And we just complain, 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 complain. And we wonder why we're depressed. We wonder why we have no joy. We just continue to air all the things that we don't like. You're going to continue to create chaos through your complaining. You're going to continue to find a, a disrupted heart, an unsettled spirit, because you choose to focus on all that. Or you can find peace in the presence of God. You can let go of you and sit down at his feet and go, God, I need to trust you more than I trust myself. Or you can keep trusting yourself. Psalms 55, 18 says this. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. Some of you have a battle raging on in your soul right now. Your heart's in turmoil. And if I'm not talking to you, God has got somebody in your life. There's a family member of yours. There's a friend of yours. There's a co-worker of yours. There's an acquaintance of yours. There's a neighbor of yours that has a battle raging on inside of them. And what it says here is, God has redeemed my soul in peace from that battle why? There were, there were many that were against me. He goes, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. There's people against me and battles raging. There's, this is probably talking about physical battles as well as metaphorical battles. I don't know any of you that are fighting any physical battles. If you are, more application. But I think most of us, we just got a lot of stuff going on in our hearts, in our heads. And a lot of things that we're wrestling with. And he says, I'll redeem you. You trust me, and I'll redeem you to a place of peace. I'll close back with another Isaiah verse, not the Isaiah 9 where we've been, but Isaiah 32. It says, his righteousness will bring peace. His righteousness will bring peace. It will bring quietness and confidence forever. You know what? I study this, this line. And I think it's impossible to have the blues if you have quietness and confidence forever. You can't. You get, quietness means a calmness, a peace, a settled. 
You're not anxious. You're not depressed. It's a, it's a peace and a confidence forever. Why? I found it in his righteousness. When I put myself under God's righteousness, the Bible says that Jesus covers all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my mistakes, everything I've ever done wrong. He covers it with his blood, his pure, righteous blood. Jesus came to earth all of those years ago and was born in a manger so that he could live an exampled life, teach us about him, and then die on the cross. Not because he did anything wrong. He died on the cross because you and I have done a lot wrong. And he gave up his life to pay for our sin. There had to be a payment for it. And Jesus was the payment so that you and I don't have to pay that bill. And if I trust that, if I trust his righteousness, if I trust his covering of all of my issues, I don't have to sit through a holiday season or through any season depressed and discouraged and feeling the blues. Because I have a God who has covered all of my issues, all of my mistakes, all of my past, all the things that happened to me, all the things that I did, all the things I'm insecure about, all the things I don't know about coming up. And then he covers my future. He helps me walk through this life. Whatever time I have left, he helps me walk towards what his best is so that someday when I take my last breath, I enter into his presence and he says, hey, welcome home. My son, my daughter, I've been waiting for you. Now we get to party. And man, when I think about that, all the rest of this stuff, it kind of fades away. My life's not perfect. Your life's not perfect. It's not going to be on this broken earth. But the perfect one who died for you promises you so much more in the future if you'll trust him right now. The choice is yours. Would you pray with me? If you would, bow your head and simply ask God to do something in your heart. God, would you help us know you better right now? In this moment, God, would you be with the people that need to open up to you for the very first time? God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice right now that they would come to trust you in this moment. I know, God, that there's people that right now need to trust you for the very first time with their soul. There's people that have heard of you, but have never truly trusted you. There's people who have, have heard about you, but they don't have a relationship with you. So God, I pray for the boy, the girl, the man, the woman that right now needs to invite you in, that needs to move out of the driver's seat and let you start calling the shots. God, you said that if we will admit that we're broken and humbly invite you in, that you would save us, that you would be our, our Lord, our Savior. So I pray that God for the person who needs to do it right now that they would just whisper in their heart to invite you in, to trust you. And God, I pray for the people under the sound of my voice that, that are struggling with sadness, with a heaviness, with a, a depression or an anxiety, God, with a discouragement, with a loss. God, there's anger in our hearts. There's fear in our hearts. There's, there's discouragement in our lives. God, we... We have so many things that keep us from having the joy that this season's supposed to promote. So Lord, as we fight these blues, as we fight back against this sorrow, please God, help us not to be the kind of people who get lost in the temporary. They get lost in the, the stuff that we can see, but God, help us focus on the things that we can't see. 
Help us to remember that you're the God of all things, the God who brings peace for each and every one of us if we'll just trust you. Lord, I pray that over every single person under the sound of my voice. And I ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.